global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We have got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close on this Monday with the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all gaining volatility is receding as the prospect of wars between the uh, war between the U.S. and North Korea appears to cool. We have got uh, the 10-year down 930 seconds, yield 2.22%. Gold is down $7 the ounce to 12.83, down six-tenths of 1%. And West Texas Intermediate Crude down 2.7% uh, at uh, 47.49 a barrel. S&P up 24, a gain there of 1%. Dow Industrials up 138, up by six-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 80, a gain of 1.3%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Thank you very much, Charlie Pellet. Well, coming up, the ETF reports brought to you by BlackRock. Worried about market uh, volatility? Well, minimum volatility strategies may be able to help. To learn more, visit BlackRock.com slash factors prepared by BlackRock Investments. Here is Jenna Dagenhart with the ETF report. Fidelity's index fund business is booming. They're getting a lot of assets, about $80 billion in the past three years. In fact, Fidelity's largest fund now is an index fund, which is sort of ironic because they're known as stock pickers. Bloomberg Intelligence ETF analyst Eric Bolchunas says Fidelity cut fees for several of its funds, making them more competitive with Vanguard. If you can't beat them, join them. You know, Fidelity and Vanguard were basically the opposite ends of the spectrum in the 80s and 90s. In fact, Vanguard, I think you, they both use each other as energy to compete. And in, you know... This era, you see Vanguard kind of winning that fight, but Fidelity isn't, you know, going to sit there. They've launched a whole line of index funds, and they've actually come in cheaper than Vanguard in certain cases. But Balchuna says the problem is their index funds just don't generate revenue. Fidelity's index funds hold about half of the assets of the active business with $242 billion, but only generate 5% as much revenue. Be warned, because when money goes into these index funds, it's leaving the system. I'm Jenna Dagenhart. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. You're listening to Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Higher is the question. Can these markets take us higher? Certainly higher today. After three days of selling last week, uh, it's a bit, uh, noticeable. Jack Alvin joins us right now. He is the chief investment officer of BMO Private Bank. And Jack, uh, I wonder what you make of, of where things are right now. We've got some notions of volatility that we haven't had. We've got some big investors uh, talking about gold as an increasing importance in an asset uh uh, uh, class as an asset class in an investment portfolio, and yet we have the market really floating pretty close to some all-time highs. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know that certainly this last little wake of concern uh, last week and the skirmish, uh, so to speak, or at least the verbal skirmish with North Korea, uh, raised um, you know awareness of some of these other asset classes. Um, and you know, maybe this market isn't on a one-way street straight up, but it sure looks it today. So what do you do with that uh, conflicting information today? Well, I think, um, you know, it's a chance to review the portfolio, um, uh, take a look at some of the diversifying asset classes. I think that, you know, part of the uh, one of the main reasons, in fact, if you look at the only metric that makes equities look reasonably priced is bonds. And so, um, you know, owning bonds in a, in a world where um, yields just uh, seem – too low for economic conditions, um, you know, isn't a, isn't a great investment. It could be a reasonable hedge. 
Um, so are you changing things, I guess, is my question here. I mean, Am I you know, changing something, no. something feels a little bit different to me. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's just the, the increase in vol or that I'm not used to hearing a president uh, sort of threaten nuclear uh, options uh, in the way that we have right now, but something feels different. Yeah, I mean, I think that the you know the prospects of geopolitical risks are, are certainly out there, both here and you know, I mean, both abroad and at home. Um, and it's been um, a, a phenomenon that uh, investors have shrugged off over the last year or so, um, and perhaps now they're uh, they're inclined to take a little more notice. I mean, you know, I think even the uh, you know, if you remember, just the the, the the terrorist attacks in in Paris and other places throughout the world um, were greeted with little more than a shrug, um, you know, in the market. So, you know, perhaps it's uh, you know it's the 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 threat of nuclear annihilation is finally getting investors' attention. I don't know. Nah, that probably won't work either. <laughs> we'll just yeah, we'll just bounce right back. Well, it is it is fairly amazing that that the threat of nuclear annihilation has not moved the markets appreciably. <laughs> We're just, you know, maybe people figure, okay, well, you know, what's the what's the real downside? <laughs> but, go, go, right, going with the New Yorker article from a few months back about all the bomb shelters being built in Silicon Valley, everyone's thinking, oh, so what? Yeah, right. It's like, okay, so I own cash. Great. <laughs> cash is going to help down, a lot in that situation. Go down in flames with with your stock portfolio, I guess. I don't know, but um, no. So I think that you know it it is a, a growing belief that you know equities are really the only game in town, and there there are no other asset classes uh, that are meaningfully offering them in much competition. Um, you know, even with a Federal Reserve hoping to reduce the size of its balance sheet. Um, you know, where's the, the the way the markets are trading, uh, whether it's uh, uh, sort of a, a, a volatile free uh, move to the uh, gentle creep upwards, how much of that is is about sort of electronic trading and machines taking over so we just don't have the panicked fingers or whatever it is? I and mean, what's missing from the market? I wonder how much machines are responsible for the change. Well, I think the I actually argue, um, you know, and I know that the proponents of algorithmic trading um, argue that, uh, you know, this machine machine trading adds liquidity. I argue it is actually the opposite. It takes liquidity out of the markets. Um, generally, it's it's trying to look for trends and then piles on. So I'm not so sure how, you know, liquidity is really taking the other side of the market, being that, being that market maker that's willing to stand in the way of a, a freight train and you know algorithmic trading is just the opposite but um no i think it's more to do with this move toward passive um which i can, i'm going to say is not all bad i mean i think that investors are you know as they move to passive investment strategies you know, by definition they're going to be buy and hold you know so i'm i'm not only seeing reduction in overall volatility um, but i'm looking at for example pairwise correlation within the s&p 500 and saying even the uh, correlation between stocks in the s&p 500 has come down as everyone is just sort of buying everything um, eventually that creates opportunity for active managers um, but you have to have uh, a lot of patience to um, to wait out your your uh, you know returns 
I mean, do you sit there with a target list of th- individual names that you want to own, with the notion that that there will be some kind of separation now, but from a uh, um, uh, you know uh, a lack of correlation, that greater stocks will great stocks will perform a good stock market. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I don't profess to be a real good stock picker, but uh, I will say that um, you know the group um, that does uh, stock picking, we generally use our, a quantitative model. Um, will will um, certainly find opportunities um, out there, but like I said, you have to be willing to be wrong for a while as this flow of funds just keeps funneling into uh, these passive approaches. I mean, that's the that's the thing about the willingness to be wrong for a while is is, is hard for. I think it's hard for investors to see because we go on TV, we go on the radio, and want to all sound like geniuses. I picked the bottom, I sold at the top, but uh, markets don't work. Trading doesn't, uh, investing doesn't work like that. No, it's it's flow of funds, and the fact is that, you know, and I tell this to clients all, all the time. I said I wouldn't own, you know, a share of stock unless I had, you know, seven to ten year time horizon. Um, you know, we try to buy asset classes so when you buy it with a dollar, that by the time you need that money, that dollar's there, and yeah. anything less than that is uncertainty. Uh, helpful stuff, Jack Ablin, Chief Investment Officer, of BMO Private Bank. Always glad. Uh, to have you here, Jack. I really appreciate uh, Jack, again, CIO of BMO. You are listening to Bloomer Markets on Bloomberg Radio.